Hello there and welcome. Gary Cook here. And this is my first series of podcasts I'm doing with the Senior Times. You may know me from Apre Match. Uh, but now I'm a poacher turned a gamekeeper because uh, I'm going to be interviewing some of Ireland's most interesting sports personalities. What makes an educated man with a degree in business ditch it all for carrying a golf bag and selecting clubs for a demanding perfectionist golfer? My next guest is one of the world's top golf caddies. He is a columnist with the Irish Times and a best-selling author. It is a great pleasure and privilege to welcome to the show Colin Byrne. Hello, Gary. Thanks for having me on the show. It's, uh, it's, it's, great. it's great to have you. It, it must be a very strange time for you because you've spent 30 years, more than 30 years, 35 years, traveling the world as a golf caddy, and now you haven't really been able to go anywhere for nine months? Yes, I... Wandered freely for, uh, as you say, about three decades, and then all of a sudden, I, um, I, I actually got nervous during the summer when when this happened. Um, well, it was actually earlier than that in March. We were in uh, at the Players Championship in uh, Sawgrass in Florida, and um, trying to figure out what what actually was going to happen. I'd actually booked a flight before they called it because they cancelled the event after the first round late on the Thursday night. Um, and the world at this point was on the edge of hysteria. Uh, COVID was just coming, uh, but it wasn't quite here yet. Yeah. So nobody knew quite what was going to happen. So, yeah, and, and including the, the tour. So um, they obviously made the right decision. They, um, you know, and, and golf shut down. We all readjusted and changed our lives and, and did nothing for a few months. And then golf was one of the first sports to open up again um, due to... Uh, Apparently, Donald Trump put a huge amount of pressure on the commissioner, uh, Jay Monaghan. Uh, he Funny kept calling that. him saying, we want golf open, you know. So they were put under pressure, but they found a great way of dealing with it. They, um, they have uh, a test lab that, that follows, you know, there's probably a few of them actually, but where everyone gets tested before they actually get anywhere near the property. And they've done it really well. They've, they've made it work. And in fact, the U.S. tour, most of the staff took a huge pay cut including the commissioner, who apparently hasn't been paid since March, wow. um, to show their commitment to what's happened. Now, the only guys who didn't take a pay cut are the players, actually. They're still playing for the same amount. But um, Yeah, my understanding was if a player um, tested positive and he had to go into isolation, he, he, he got 100 grand a week. That, that was a rumour. I've, I've yet to hear. I, somebody said it was <laughs> a bit less than that, the miserly summer 75. Ah, that's yeah, so they had to awful. sack their butlers and, and their mansion, <laughs> yeah, rent uh, less salubrious mansions. But yeah, I mean, and that was part of their way of making sure everyone took it seriously. Mm. Um, you know, so if you are showing any symptoms or if you're obviously for testing, you come positive, you've, you've get out of there, you know. So, um, and you were over recently. Uh, in the um, in the Masters, yeah, uh, with uh, your, well, we'll get into this in a moment. Your former caddy, uh, uh, former Rafa, player, yes, former former player rather, uh, Rafa Cabrera Bello. We'll get into that in a moment. But uh, you were there. You, you you finished the Masters and then went to another tournament and then, yeah, I I travelled with them. Uh, Matt Wallace's caddy, um, Dave McNeely. We uh, we. Took it was about a three and a half four hour drive. Uh, I was with him for the, obviously I was driving. He was a passenger, um, and as the routine goes, we arrive at Sea Island, Georgia, which um, where was the next event, and um, went to the test center, 
uh, took her tests and we went down to the beach for a walk to wait for our uh, our test result. He got his about an hour and a half later and said, oh, no, I'm, I'm positive. He didn't say, oh, no, he said something else. But um, uh, so, um, and then I, so I immediately, you know, uh, pretty much scarpered, got out of there and uh, let him walk back to wherever he was going. Um, I got my result. I was negative. And I continued to test negative. He continued <laughs> to test positive, even though I was in such close proximity. So it just shows you how, how difficult it is to figure out how to deal with this thing. But, and um, you uh, have parted company with Rafa Cabrera Bello, isn't that correct? Yeah, I mean, again, it's probably like a lot of people have, have experienced over this um you know, this COVID, the pandemic and the, you know, the way people have been living through it uh, with loads of time to think and ponder and ponder life's complexities. And, um, you know, I just thought I've worked for a lot of guys over the years. I think I've always stayed on a little longer. Um, you kind of know it's a one-to-one relationship. It's There's nowhere to hide. It's not like you're in an office, not like people are in an yeah. office anymore or in that environment where there's other people to shield you. So, you know... I, you know, I've always, if you if it doesn't work, if it's not working, if it's not firing, if there's no dynamism there, you know, the mature thing is to move on. And, and it's it's best for him as well. Yeah. Uh, so we had a chat last week. Um, and, um, you know, you've got to be 100% behind someone both ways. We kind of felt, you know, yeah, let's give, let's it, was give a, it a change. It was the right time. Uh, and dare I ask, um, <laughs> is there any... <laughs> Uh, any uh, any inclination as to who you might be working for, or are you are you allowed to say? Um, no, I mean, uh, look, it's it's you know this has only happened recently. Out of sight is out of mind. I haven't been around, and mm, obviously because sure. of the COVID thing, I, could, I wasn't around at the, um, the tournament in Sea Island. But um, yeah, I mean, I would. Uh, I'm not in a rush, but if I'm still here in, in February, I'll be uh, I'll, there'll be some sense of urgency about about yeah. uh, looking for a new bag. You know, I'm I'm of the era now where, yeah, you're getting yeah, I, I'm, on. I'm getting on in terms yeah. of physically doing the job. Uh, I'm in my mid fifties, so um, you know you got to bear that in mind. But also, you know, just the whole makeup of the a lot of the guys are a lot younger now. Mm-hmm. So you've yeah. sure they want experience. They want someone who knows what they're doing, who's done it with other players. Um, but they also want someone they can relate to. You spend an mm-hmm. awful lot of time. You know, a lot of what we do is obviously the professional aspect, but there's also the, the human and personal aspect of you spend all day with a guy, you need to yeah. get on with him, you need to have something to talk about. You know, at my age, talking to a guy in his early 20s, does he feel like it's his old man on the bag? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's a balance. Some guys want their mates. Some guys want someone who's they can rely on for you know, experience and sage advice. So um, I, I'm looking for someone like that. I'm also looking for someone at this stage. You know, we. It's. I'd like to think I could hopefully mould a younger player yeah. now. So I really would like the opportunity to... to do they to want do to be moulded? Uh, uh, I've no. heard you talk before about the difficulty of getting through to some... Uh, no, some I mean, what, what, partly what makes these guys great is they're all very, very talented. They've got um, obsessive qualities. They're, they're driven. They believe in themselves. It's what, you know, you have to. You're the only one doing it when it comes down to it. You haven't got the team around you. You know, it's, it's well, you have a team in the sense of I'm there and coach is there and whatever management. But in terms of when you're actually doing your, your thing, it's you. Mm. It's you and only you. So, um, you know, they believe in themselves. So 
they believe in what they're doing, even though they're maybe doing the wrong things. So it is hard for them to take advice, but that's the, the art of what we do. You know, yeah. I mean, and I've always maintained, it's a line I always use when people ask me what's, you know, about caddying and what you do. And what, you know, you can say the right thing and the wrong thing, even though it's exactly the same thing. So it's, it's, right. it's man management about, yeah. you know, okay, I need to talk to this guy now. I need to explain a few things, or maybe now is not the time. Or maybe, you know, you've always got to make it like it's their decision. Sure. So, you know, so you're constantly handling somebody at, at several different levels. Yeah. Because yeah, you're effectively an advisor, uh, a strategist, uh, uh, a we, uh, yeah. We, we're the true dilettantes. You know, we're you know uh, trained for nothing but um, see the pants training of survival at mm. you know at pretty much a lot of well a lot of things. And I, I would say more recently in psychology and and you know dealing with their minds because that's the main thing that separates all these players at, the, at this stage because they're all so, so talented and so well drilled and so well trained, you know, and coached, good techniques. So what separates them? Their mind. Our health service is here for you this winter and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, Remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Say hello to our Premium Plus e-paper bundle. The interactive replica edition of the Irish Independent, Sunday Independent and The Hurled. Every paper, every day, delivered to your tablet, phone or desktop for less than €3.50 per week. Subscribe at independent.ie. Up close and independent. I remember um, back in the 80s when David Faraday marched on to the, the practice range somewhere in Europe and he had a, a, um, a man by his side called uh, Alan Fine who was a tennis player who was... Uh, he was helping some tennis players, but nobody had helped any golfers. Faraday sought him out. Faraday had a um, very active mind. He realized, you know what, this isn't working. I need someone to help me. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength that you can you can actually adopt that. Now, when he arrived with, you know, who's this guy? Well, he's actually a, he's a, a, a mind coach or, a, you know, 
uh, more more flippantly a, a shrink. You know what? What? So Faraday's mad, is he? Yeah, you know, the, the, it sure. was obviously a, it was a it was a progressive thing to do. Now, if you arrived on the range without one, you'd yes. be mad. So you know, yeah. and this is the how the game has evolved. In, well, in I was going years. to ask you uh, that uh, question, the difference in the game between now and, and when you started. You started over 35 years ago. Uh, I seem to remember you saying that in the very early 80s, you were looking for, a, as, a, as a student, looking for a bag down in the Irish Open when, when it was on and at places like Port Marnock and Royal Dublin and so on. Well, yeah, I, I suppose the... Um, what was the game like then, by the way? The game was, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of the same game, but it didn't seem like the same game. Uh, I, I got into the game because my father was a good golfer. Okay. So um, he, if I was uh, well-behaved, he'd let me caddy for him. It wasn't like he wanted me to caddy for him. I wanted to caddy for him. For Cyril Burns. Cyril, a, it had to be A. You talk about the, the uh, idiosyncrasies of golfers, you know. He, could, he felt he couldn't win unless he, put, he really? entered as C.A. Byrne. So anyway, superstition was a superstition big, is a big thing with all golfers. Okay. I mean, you, you know, since I've worked for golfers, I won't play with a number three, can't play with this marker, can't play with a different color tee. There's all sorts of little things going on there. And you, but you know? you're expected to know them all. You've uh, got to pick up on these and know, don't present wow. the wrong, okay. uh, wrong thing. But anyway, to so go back to... what did your dad, what did Cyril teach you? About he taught me, on, on unbeknownst to him, he taught me very well because he was, again, he had that kind of uh, maybe slightly obsessive, detailed nature that a golfer had. So I picked up pretty quickly, or was made pick up pretty quickly, the right and wrong thing to do. Don't stand there, don't say that, don't stand on this line. Bloody, just don't get in the way. Be there, but don't be there. Um... And, you know, it's not what he educated me for, to become a, a, a golfer. But well, it you was, went to Belvedere School yeah. and you were educated in Trinity College. You got a business degree. Business degree, yeah. And uh, most people, uh, who were, those resources are put into their education, are yeah. expected to go and use it. But you, you, you well, I would argue that I used it in a, yeah, <laughs> a more creative way, yeah. But, um, you know, back in the 80s in, in Ireland, when I, when I did um, get my degree, I... There wasn't much going on, you know. So I said, "Well, I might as well head off and see see some of the world." And mm. um, and I didn't intend making it last for so long. Uh, okay, but so you did think that at some point you might certainly. I thought I'd mature and mm. get a real job, and so yeah. did, so did my parents. But um, that never seemed to happen. Plus, it it kind of evolved, you know. The back then, I was hoping to break even, have just about the same amount as I started the. Um, the year with, at the end of it, I wasn't trying to make a living out of it. And then it evolved. Um, the money increased. Along came Tiger Woods. People started taking caddies a bit more seriously because of, you know, what they were um, earning, I suppose. So um, you know, when did the it start to evolve? Because I can remember caddies that you knew from many years ago were saying that they were appallingly treated, particularly yeah. in the American tour. Yeah, I mean, I've got to explain to a lot of these guys now how it was when they... You know, we have great caddy lounges with great food. We have um, some places we go to in Asia, they they put us up in five-star hotels and pay for flights. A lot of us would fly with our players in private jets, depending on who they are. You know, mm. I mean, you've you've it certainly has evolved. And back then, I was hitchhiking or getting a bus and um, train and getting there, you know, the cheapest possible way. Um so obviously that's all changed. Um, you know, as I said, David Faraday arrived at the... the um, you caddied for Faraday in the 19, I did, yeah. eight, late 80s, right? Yeah, 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 the mid-80s. Mid yeah. And um, 
only regret was I didn't keep a, a, a long list of his uh, very witty, f- fun, yeah, his one-liners, which he threw out uh, very quickly. Uh, is he is the Oscar Wilde? Of, I love his line. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't hit a, a tile floor with a belly full of puke. I like that one. <laughs> uh, now you have carried. Uh, I suppose you've got progressively more and, and uh, more successful bags as you went up. And uh, by the late 90s, uh, early noughties, you, you were in with uh, Retief Goosen. Yeah. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, obviously, you know, to get chosen by, he was on the way up. He'd won a US Open. He was a major player. He was probably top 10 in the world when I um, started working for him. Um you know, it's it's flattering to be asked by such a good player who's going forward. I mean, mm. sometimes like sometimes you can be asked by great players going going backwards, um, which is also flattering because they still have some left yeah. in them. But and they respect how you could help them. So you know, for me to be and, and the first year I worked for him, two thousand and four, I remember thinking on pretty much every other week, going, you know what, this is unbelievable. It's not going to last because that is the nature of the business. Mm. Uh, you know, the relationships don't last, the base of success, the form mightn't last. But um, I do remember really appreciating how it all went. There was a point there before he won the US Open, where I think he was top 10 for every tournament he played in for three months up to it. Now, if you're in the top 10, then you're always, you're knocking on mm. the door, you're very close to winning. There's such a You've still got the difference. jet. The jet's still there. The, the jet's still going. He hadn't got the jet at that stage, <laughs> but it, the jet was on the way. Um, but, um, you know, so it was great. I was, you know, and, and in many ways, what caddies do is they slip in the back door onto the main stage of sport, golf. Um, but it is which, fascinating in that respect because there is no, I, with the possible exception of boxing, I can't see anybody else who's that who's that close up and who is kind of part of the decision-making process. It's very, very unusual. Well, yeah, and, and that's another thing. I'm always careful to um, kind of draw the line of making decisions. You know, I mean, yes, we contribute to a decision decision being made, and what you say is is obviously has a huge influence in that, but it's always the player's yeah. responsibility to make that decision. Mm-hmm. And that's where all the things break down, and then... Obviously, any sports psychologist will tell you that. You've got to take ownership for the decision you make. But, you know, what you say has a huge bearing on the decision you make. So you need to, you need to, your information needs to be good. You naturally got on with Goosen. It was a personality gel. There was a good kind of chemistry between Well, yeah, he, you know, they're all very similar, but they're all subtly different. Mm-hmm. So um, Retief didn't want a whole lot. You know, he wanted, um, like some players, and if you heard the, the dialogue that you would have heard on occasions between um, Bones, uh, Phil Mickelson's caddy and him. I mean, it's a complete, um, there's monologues going on about what shot to hit. Mm. Now, that was not how Retief wanted it. Yeah. He wanted to know maybe every three or four holes, two or three holes, he would say, what club do you think? So I had to be thinking every hole. Mm. It's not every shot because you weren't sure when it was coming. And, and that's the way it should be. And I, I would maintain now, and I do, that the modern caddy is, uh, has too much influence, you know, because you're... Really? You're, you're, yeah, because, you know, these guys know what they're doing. They, they're really talented golfers. They're, they're, you know, they're really good at what they do. Now, it's not all the time they don't know. it. We all need advice sometimes. You don't need advice all the time. Sometimes advice can hinder you mm. rather than help you. So, you know, it's, again, a sense of in their own... 
independence. You do, we talked earlier about having to trying to influence and mold golfers. You know, you want to do that if you think it's the right thing to do. You know, you don't want to put a guy off. Mm. So, you know, it's important not to to cloud things as well. So to go back to my relationship with Retief, it was a minimalist relationship. Mm. I thought, you know, um, a bit going back to you know the old adage of you know keep up and shut up. It wasn't quite that. You know, he did want to know, and particularly look. I always maintain what a caddy's employed for is the back nine on Sunday mm. when the bum's twitching and uh, they really need someone to back him up. So, you know, because the game's about pressure. You so, mentioned to me actually quite a long time ago when I met you at one point, you said that the, uh, at the back nine of a Sunday, don't be talking about golf to your, to your golfer. Uh, you're more mm. likely to do better by telling them a joke. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I've, I've heard some of the best coaches you know, the week of a tournament isn't the time to coach someone. Mm. I think the best coaches that are at a tournament tell the best jokes before they go out to play. They're not giving them a swing, any sure. swing advice. The job is done. It's a bit like swatting for an exam before you're going into it. It's too late. So um, The back nine at Shinnecock Hills in uh, 2004, that was uh, presumably a very exciting moment for him and for you as his... Uh, as is, is Caddy in the victorious uh, U.S. Open, in the U.S. Win. Open, we won. Yeah, we and we actually played with Ernie, who I ended up working for yeah. um, some years later. Describe the the pressure of that situation. It must be intense. The pressure is intense, but I mean, you, you know, it's again, it's what we're, it's what you do, it's what mm. you train for. It's not like I had, you know, he'd competed for a lot of events with him, although it was my first year with him. So you're kind of, I know, this is a totally different stage. Um, the intensity, as you say, is, is uh, you know, is, is raised. But um, this is kind of what we do. You know, if you have a relationship, if you've done your preparation, you've had a relationship, you know, of being somewhat in these situations, just do the basics. You know, I, any of this stuff is about doing the basics, not getting distracted. So making sure... Even you, on a big day absolutely. with that level of pressure. And, you know, when these guys are playing great, you need to let them go a bit as well. Okay. You know, you don't, you know, sure, there was a few moments where you need to step in, but I mean, in terms of, you know, it's it's observing how he's behaving, you know. I mean, what they train for is to just go in, in kind of subconscious, just to go into, you know, cruise mode, mm. which is what they do on, on the last, last round when you're contending. All the practice has been done. You're just letting go. You're just playing golf without thought, minimal thought, Keep your routine, keep going. Now, he putted unbelievably well. Mm. The, the big thing in Shinnecock Hills and outside New York was um, the mouthy crowd. It was, uh, you get a lot of hostility in the States when you're not an American doing well in one of their big yeah. tournaments, in any tournament. Um, and they were vocal. So they day. were vocal, but what they didn't know with Retief Goosen, that actually helped him. Yeah. I, I think he, uh, he thrived on that. And I actually remember Ernie Els, who had kind of blown himself out of it by the back nine. He was getting involved with the crowd. In other words, he was trying to defend Retief, which he shouldn't be doing at all. But, I mean, that's Two South much, Africans against... And, and it wasn't American against him. Yeah. It was against his fellow countrymen. Yeah. Who um, they were abusing. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. Um, so, but it, 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 it strengthened him. Uh, you know, they would have been better saying nothing to What him. kind of things were they shouting down? Oh, you know, go on, goose and three-putt, make it interesting, or all yours to lose, or... Just you know, hostile. Uh, right in his face stuff. as he walked from green to tea. So, right. um, 
you know, it's not stuff you could you could kind of. Did I? I didn't hear that. No, you did hear. Um, and again, the, the, the very much the antithesis of the kind of etiquette that you are talking about that you learned from your your own dad. And I know that in your articles that you will get to that in a moment. But the articles that you've written, you've talked very much about about etiquette and how important it is in golf. Uh, yeah, uh, it absolutely. must be kind of entertaining in its own way, though, to have these mouthy, mouthy Americans. It's no. the nature of, uh, you know, it, it is the nature. And, and I've always been with a foreign player over there. And you go and you maybe have a slightly blind hole, loads of people around. Your player, who's a foreign player, it's a two iron, which is a hell of a shot to 15 feet, which is, you know, really good. And you, you can't really see, and you get up there and go, well, that's a hell of a shot. To get, there was no applause. Well, mm. you're the wrong nationality. Whereas you, their own hits, hits, hits it to 15 feet with the wedge, and they rapturous applause. But, I mean, that that is, you know, you need to deal with that. Well, uh, yeah, that's part, it's, it's, it's part of it, and you've got to be tough, I suppose. I've always noticed it from, you know, the, the early days of watching the Ryder Cup, uh, Keogh Island, I think, in 91, and... Uh, uh, I remember there was uh, the, all sorts of controversies at various Ryder Cups about, about crowd behavior, particularly in America and so on. So this this was just an extension of that. But bringing it up to the modern day, has it become more like itself? What is America like now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd have to say, um, you know, obviously this year there's been no crowds, so that's that's made a huge difference. Mm. <laughs> um, it's the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, so... Up till then, I suppose, you know, I, I'd have to say a lot of it was drink-driven as well, you know, that the mm. kind of louder as the day went on. So much hospitality at these events um, yeah. that, um, you know, the old bottles talking by about 2 o'clock on a hot, sunny summer afternoon in, in Boston or wherever, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they haven't toned it down, but, uh, you know, that's fine. You, you know, that's, that's, that's how it is over there, and you know that. You've been around large parts of America, maybe the underbelly of the country, mm-hmm. in a way that most people haven't. Most, most people who've been there a lot have been to the coasts and, 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 and mm-hmm. so on, travel around, but you're going right into the kind of Akron, Ohio's, et cetera, and the kind of Boise, Idaho's, and this, this kind of territory. And what are, what is that America like? That is America. Well, the, well, the parts we're seeing are the leafy country clubs oh. of these areas, you know, so <laughs> right, uh, okay. Okay. it might be the, the best place to make a... Uh, no, but just in terms of the attitude, I suppose, of, of, of a certain kind of America, is there, is it, would you describe it as uh, Republican America, Trump's America, quite a bit uh, of it? Very much so, you know, I mean, I, um, and particularly this year with the election, you know, you're, uh, yeah, I'm in a right-wing environment, there's no doubt. Mm. Golf uh, seems to lend itself to, particularly in America, well, obviously in America, Republicanism, and um, you you very much feel that. You know, I think this year, obviously dealing with COVID was a a tough thing, but even tougher when I went back, as we were gearing up, I went back in September, gearing up for the election. Um, You know, I'm trying to tiptoe around uh, politics by, Mm. by going well, what do you think of this or what do you think of that guy or, you know, and, and I realized how enveloped I was by um, the Republican and those willing to, to vote for Trump. And it was quite shocking um, because these are people I'd, I'd spent an awful lot of time with, had a huge amount of respect for and were caring, nice people, uh, colleagues, and they 
reveal that they, yeah, they voted for Trump. And, and, and yeah. it kind of shocked me. But Trump clearly has uh, tapped into the fault line of American politics and uh, a lot of uh, uh, very divisive attitudes. Uh, and are you suggesting that, that it's far more politicized now than it was 10, 15 years ago? It's, it's, you're saying that it's far more of a kind of a touchy subject, using the word tiptoe. Nah, um, I, well, I, in terms of the, the persuasion of, on tour, from what I, I saw, I mean, it was very hard to find anyone who was of a democratic persuasion. I think uh, Tom Watson, they did a survey really? years ago, and he was about the only one. You were asked by uh, people on behalf of Donald Trump to write a forward for his uh, golf book or his book Golf, isn't that right? Yeah, in 2004, yeah, yeah. he's pretty good at latching on to someone who was, yeah, I, I released uh, my first book back then. Yeah. It, it was obviously doing quite well and got some attention. And um, yeah, there, his publishers uh, got hold of me and I responded fairly quickly. Um, and that was the end of that. You responded in the negative. Uh, yeah, he uh, was never my type of person that I was going <laughs> to uh, write a free you want to say uh, free it, say article it now. for. You've, you've written something, you've bought something today. Uh, so go I'll ahead, start. Tom. We are all ears. An, an honor to write out your work. I remember distinctly the first experience of competition in the States. It was about the winning, not the competing the opposite of what I had been brought up to believe. It's all about the winner. You only get reminded of those who finish second when they actually win. This noble notion of taking part was soon knocked out of me when I went to the States. Then I started to observe how people behaved in society, particularly in the country clubs that we were frequenting. There were more Trump-Pence bumper stickers than Biden-Harris ones in the car park. I'd always been aware of the overimportance of sport and sporting greats, winners in America. This notion seemed to take over politics. It wasn't about policy and morality anymore. It was simply about winning and creating a divide and gloating and looking down on the perceived losers. Winning is a strange concept in golf because even if you were very successful in the game over a long period of time, you don't actually win that often. So to put it in stark and simplistic Trump speak, you're a loser for most of your career. It's been a tough year for humanity. But when I went back to the States last September, as the division between Republican and Democrat was being widened even more than you could possibly imagine, the biggest problem, apart from COVID, that I encountered was trying to figure out who may have democratic tendencies on tour? There were very few. Somehow the most reasonable, kind and thoughtful colleagues that I've spent so much time with over the years could still justify voting for Trump. COVID had brought people together emotionally at the end of four years of Trump driving them apart. We need to value the competition again and not just the victories. Connell, that's, uh, that's wow. Um, I was going to uh, ask you about your writing, but uh, that is your writing, and it's fantastic. 
hello to Independent Weekend Home Delivery. Save up to 40% with the Irish Independent and Sunday Independent delivered to your door every weekend. Plus, enjoy premium access to independent.ie and read our interactive e-paper edition all week long. All from just €5 per week. Search for Independent Home Delivery now. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Our health service is here for you this winter and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. Colin, I know that golf is very much a world within a world, uh, but is it a kind of a very male world, would you describe it? I said, well, the world I've worked in, I've only worked for uh, for male golfers. Well, sorry, I've worked an odd time for, but uh, predominantly I've worked for male golfers. So I suppose my uh, world of golf has been very male dominated. Mm. Um, uh, you know, it's, the, it's true that the US female tour is, is thriving. There's a lot of very good players on it. Th- there is such a divide in... It's very hard for females to compete with males. Yeah, I was wondering, is there not um, a, 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 the possibility of a kind of a tournament that even, even a short-form tournament uh, in terms of, uh, of of par threes, would it not be interesting to see men against women? Yeah, if it's, if it's not distance, sure. But, I mean, the trouble is there's such a such a divide between the uh, the distances that mm. males and, and females can possibly hit it. I know they tried, um, Annika Sorenstam played in a... Um, an event once. I'm not sure if she made the cut because they were trying to do that. And I know Michelle Wee played in, mm. in an event, I think, in Hawaii. Um, and again, you know, just from the tees, if, if they played in forward tees, of course they could compete. Um, but in terms of the physical distance, it just makes it impossible. But, you know, the, look, we've got a, a um, Leone Maguire, who uh, one of the famous mm. Maguire twins from um, Cavan. She was a great amateur, um, went to college in the States and, and broke all records there, I think. And uh, she's doing quite well as a professional. It's, it's a big, big step up, big mm. difference. She's been groomed from a very young age to be a top golfer. That just, mm. just shows you how hard it is to do. And, and also within, if you get stuck in a little bubble in Ireland and think you're good, the chances are you're not as good as you thought mm. you were when you when you uh, travel, you know, so, but she has kind of brought her game 
around the world and and it stood up, you know. But in terms of of golf, this wasn't the US tour, there's um you know, within the, the support systems and you've you'll have a few female coaches, you'll have quite a few physios, psychologists, mm. there's plenty of people on tour working on tour, a few managers that are um I think um Tommy Fleetwood's wife is wife now was his manager. Mm-hmm. So um you know there's 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 plenty of influ- female influence, but um in terms of uh, them competing together, I just don't think it works. Now, you talked about uh, distance there and length and so on, and this is becoming more and more of an issue in the game of golf. Uh, you, you talked before we before we started, you, you were talking about that there's always been progressions, you know, uh, right you know, right the way through golf, and more recently with guys like uh, Ernie Els and uh, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, and these guys are now... Uh, um, the Shambo and so on. Yeah. Uh, where do you see this all going, Colin? Well, you know, back, whatever, 20 years ago, Tiger came along, raised the bar with his physicality, mm. with his, he was hitting it a long way because of what he was doing in the gym. Um, and, you know, that obviously changed golfers from being natural golfers to being athletes mm. as well. Um, I would I would argue that obviously golf has changed dramatically in, in 10, 20 years, but particularly so in the last couple of years. Um, where you have got the swing speed that these guys generate mm. now, the ball speed. Mm. Um, it's probably been prompted a lot by this TrackMan device that they use, that they used to use for uh, avionics, for, mm. <clears throat> which, for aviation, which, which, you know, measures your, um, the, your launch angle, your ball mm. speed, your spin rate. Most guys travel with these devices now. They're worth about twenty grand, but they're—it's their briefcase. You know, you see most guys arriving on, on the range with their golf bag, or the caddy's got the golf bag. They've got the briefcase. They set up a, mm. um, this uh, TrackMan that monitors what they're doing, getting instant scientific feedback of how they're hitting it. They'll have the coach there as well. You know, so they've got huge information. It's, it's been a real game changer in the sense that the scores that are produced now have come from. What these guys have been doing scientifically with these machines and how they've helped them. Now, what what uh, you know what Bryson DeChambeau has, has done to the game. What he did at the U.S. Open was the U.S. Open traditionally is a core. You know, it's it's the toughest competition where you know a lot of tournaments you go to twenty under or twenty odd under wins. They want level par being a great score, and it is. Um, and only having a few few competitors on a Sunday being under par. And they do this by picking great golf courses, but setting them up very tough, really narrow fairways mm-hmm. and really thick rough. And that normally combats the long hitter. But what happened at, at uh, Winged Foot, where uh, Bryson Shambo won his first US Open, he was hitting it so far that he, um, he obliterated the course. He was so close to the green, it actually didn't matter that he, was, he wasn't hitting fairways. But also with the nature of the, the sloping fairways, what the USGA have set up the course and have this plan in mind of level par being the winning score, um, even for the shorter hitters, because they, they, you know, if you try to play strategically, it's end up in the rough and you were so far from the green, it didn't matter. So length was such a huge, huge mm-hmm. advantage. I'm not saying it hasn't always been, yeah, but you know, it, it, it is. It was particularly a huge advantage for for Deschambeau and he capitalized. Now, I haven't said that. You've got to hold the putts. 
Mm. You've got to do everything else as well. Um, Is this in danger, uh, though, of um, taking away the creativity out of golf? Um, yeah, but the golf short. ball has done that. The equipment yeah. has done that. Mm. You know, we, we've moved from, I don't know when, the, the Pro V1 Titleist golf ball came out, whatever, 20 years ago. They used to use this Balata ball, which is a softer ball, mm. which, you know, you used, they used to use blade clubs. You could shape the ball, you had left to right, right to left, low, high. You know, they used to do that. In the wind, it was really hard to control. What they've got now are bullets. Mm. Golf balls, they're all carefully designed to match what the, the actual player does with his swing speed, his launch angle, his spin rate, all monitored on hand immediately. It's not like you've got to go back. You used to have to go and have a week off somewhere and do all this stuff. Now you can do it right there at the tournament. So this has changed the game. So the ball, and, and Jack Nicholas has argued this for years, that the only way to control the game is with the golf ball, and they haven't done that. I, I wouldn't play the game as a young guy unless I had it a long way, and that's a, it's not a great thing to have to say, mm. you know. As a, as a top guy aspiring to be a top player, it is so important. Well, is it damaging the game to you? I mean, not at, a, at an amateur level. It's fascinating. Let's face it, it's fascinating to watch guys... You know, we like if you watch whatever sport, the extreme version mm. of it is always fascinating. Well, of course, what you can't do is fascinating to yeah. watch in a professional. Well, it's happening in cricket as well. Uh, people are hitting the ball so far, yeah. uh, you know, much further than they used to hit it. And uh, you've got, you know, I know baseball uh, technique is, is used in cricket now. They've got baseball co Absolutely. coaches and so on. Yeah. So guys are just hitting, as I say, hitting the ball so much further than they used to. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously the equipment as well is, is, is helping, that, helping that too. But I mean, could a player like Ballesteros exist now? Yeah, absolutely, because he's talented. Okay. You know, I mean, he's he, sorry, he was hugely, vastly, supremely talented. You know, and that that obviously is a great <laughs> but I mean, start. Would he be crushed now by by no? Because he hit a and he, so on by, he, by he being wild. wild. He was always wild. He played the game from the rough. He played the game from the car park. You know. And yeah. That's where he thrived. He could still. He no. He'd find a way. No, of course there was. There would be room for him. Um, you know, but but because um, he was still athletic as well. I mean, he would have adapted to to the modern equipment and the modern games. So, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So you don't think uh, that the game is in crisis in that way? Well, you know, again, what you, what you watch in television um, with top professionals is entertainment too. Mm. You know, it's not necessarily... Look, everyone's fascinated by it. The guy I would love to watch if I was... Not that I, I really watch golf is Bubba Watson, mm. naturally gifted shot maker who still makes shots. What I'm saying, you asked me earlier about the ball and the equipment. The ball's a bullet. It doesn't really move that much. You know, it does, they can't, shaping is not, um, is, is not as easy anymore. So it's, it's the power game, you know. But he, he still manages to um, be a very creative golfer. Okay. Yeah, and that, that's for me because there's enough clones out there to watch, even though it's still good to watch. You know, it's still good to watch guys hit a long way and then be really accurate. It's great balance. Which are the great courses uh, that you have been on? Which are your favorite courses? We've got to experience all the great links courses in, in, uh, in Britain. Um, and that's kind of where the roots of my golf is. And I, I have a, yeah, I, I really love that form of golf. Um, I've also got to see some of the best courses in the world, all the best courses in the world, probably. Um, which tend to have a more 
kind of uh, contrived, mm. manufactured look about them, even though it's, you know, it's it's a different form of golf, target golf. Great to see, you know, and I've seen loads of great golfers. Wing Foot, where we were in, for the US Open. You go to Pebble Beach, you go to Akron's a great course, even though it's a straight up and down, but it, but there's something really good. You know, And but what I look for in a golf course as well is whatever great designer tries to design is a course that's playable for you, Gary Cook. I don't know what you play off. Maybe maybe you, you've <laughs> dropped out from it's single in, figures. It's but, in double you know, figures. So whatever it is that you can play, but Dustin Johnson can play off the right tee and, you know, compete and enjoy it. Yeah, it's okay. a beauty of golf, and it's also another amazing thing that that may not be mentioned. You know how, as amateurs, the pro am before a tournament. There's so few sports that you can directly gauge what you do with one of these top professionals. You know, you couldn't go in a ring with someone before a big bout. You know, as an amateur, but they do that in golf every week. You get that experience of go, wow! You can actually see what they do up close. It's um, and draws people in. Obviously, you've been up close with, uh, you know, the world's finest golfers. What do you think are the qualities that, that they exhibit? The biggest thing is their mind. You know, and that's no revelation in golf. You know, you get distracted. I've made a bogey. I've done this. I'm only, you know, why, why do amateurs screw up so much? Because they're thinking ahead. You can't think ahead. You cannot think ahead in golf. You, you can have a plan, but you can't be... Drawn you cannot them. get ahead of yourself. So one of those to go games, back to your, what, yeah. what separates them? Their minds, mm. their belief in their minds. I mean, I'm convinced of that. Obviously, given there's a certain talent. You know, I worked for a New Zealander who was from a very famous uh, New Zealand sporting family. Oh, Greg Turner. Greg Turner. Was, yeah. yes. His brother was a um, was a great all-round cricketer, Glenn, Glenn Turner. Turner yeah, yeah. And his, his elder brother, um, I think he played hockey for New Zealand. He, Hockey and cycling from New Zealand. Um, was he a poet laureate of New Zealand? He was Zealand? a poet laureate, laureate wow. of New Zealand as well. So I remember <laughs> what a talented his, family, eh? And, and he was, Greg was a journeyman, average golfer, won quite a bit. But I always remember, and it resonates every time I'm in position with a guy who I think isn't, you know, is, is maybe nervous. You know, he, he wasn't nervous. He knew he wasn't going to compete most of the time he played. But on any given day, if he was on his game, he could beat anyone in his yeah. mind. And he did. You know, and that, that was his belief. He knew he wouldn't beat them over, over a four or five week period because they were better golfers. But the strength of mind, that's what carried him through. It wasn't so much his talent, his strength of mind and his understanding of his own game. Um, so you, you can't underestimate psychology and the psychology and, the, and the strong, what a strong mind can do from a, for a good golfer. Because I remember many years ago in one of your articles, uh, you talked about the difficulty that some players have uh, uh, in a, a, a back nine. You talked about the back nine uh, when, when, when the tournaments really get going, um, that they, they are presented with the opportunity to win, but you used the mm. words, some of them didn't want it. They no. couldn't cope with it. Well, the fear, I never heard that. Fear before. of winning. You know, I mean, yeah. you, you have two types of players. The guy who, who looks at the board and goes, why, why is my name not up there? Or the, the, same, the other guy who goes, why is my name up there? Am I comfortable there? It's comfort zone. It's like, mm-hmm. as oh, we have comfort zones where well, I'm not used to seeing that. Boom, off you go. As opposed to the guy who's driven by, I want my name up there. I want it there from Thursday until Sunday. You know, and they're, they're winners. They're people who believe they belong there and want to belong there. You've been on the tour so long. You've got so, uh, you've achieved so much. The top of your game for many, many years. And hopefully you'll go on being 
top of your game. Um, what have been the, the the great memories? What what will you, what would you be able to say? You know what? I'm glad I didn't go and get that job in business after Trinity. What 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 were the great? Well, you know, just the look. I started doing it out of wanderlust, not particularly a yeah. love for golf. So you know, I've and I, you know, the first year I caddied on tour, I remember going through. You know, I was in Paris one week, you're down to Madrid the next, maybe Rome the next, Amsterdam the next. I mean, it was the most amazing travel experience, which is the reason, you know, I started doing it. Plus, I was, as I'd said earlier, kind of slipped in the back door of a major sport and got onto the, uh, you know, the main stage and, at times. And finally, the question is, Colin, uh, who are the top, who are your top five golfers and for what, what reasons would you say who? Top five golfers. I'd say that my top golfer of the... I met Nick Price down in Zimbabwe years ago when I was just traveling. I wasn't actually there for golf. And uh, I was introduced to him. And he remembered me every time I met him after that, even though I wasn't working for okay. great players. He became the number one golfer in the world. And he's always been a gentleman. Like a great competitor and a gentleman who's managed to keep a great balance in his life. He'd definitely be a number one of the, the modern era. Um... You know, I suppose I had a, a love-hate relationship with Seve because he put his arm around me once when I when I was a kid at the Irish Open in Port Marnock. And, you know, as a kid, we liked golf and this superstar, you know, he put his arm around me and, you know, I thought, wow, who's this guy? And then I realized when I caddied on tour exactly who he was. It wasn't <laughs> quite the, the uh, what I was expecting. You know, yeah, but a having whirlwind, said, a whirlwind having said that, man. he yeah. was, um, you know, the charisma. When you see someone who exudes and oozes charisma. He is the most charismatic sports person I think I've ever seen of um, anybody. I met Sam Sneed, um, who, who probably taught me, met Sam Sneed back in, I think, the early 90s. He was playing the Masters. I was there with Anders Forsbrand. He slammed Sam at a big, uh, big attitude, big ego, won loads of tournaments, and you, you saw why the epitome of the uh, the Iceman is Bernard Langer. He's still going. He's still performing. He Meticulous. still looks the same. Yeah. Looks the same physically. Obviously, you know we've all aged. But at you know mid fifties, we've got the faces we deserve. But um, he's still doing it at, at a very high level over how many decades? Four decades mm. into his fifth decade, probably of. of golfing at the very highest level. So I've got the ut utmost respect for him. Um, modern era, you know, I really like Rory. I think yeah. um, it's very hard to be at the top, have people picking out of you. Mm. He deals with it very well. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think he'll have a very long career out of it because he keeps a great balance. So, you know, he's someone that we can be proud of. So balance and, uh, and, and values are still the yeah. most important things to you, even within the world of golf. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're, you, you know, you, you know, it's a tough game, competitive game. Everyone's trying to beat each other, but you've got to do it in a civilized way, and that's really important. Well, Colin, I'd love to stay talking all day, but I'm afraid we have to. Um, it's been great we have talking to, to you, wrap Gary. This up. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Uh, very, very interesting insights uh, into golf. Nice to be good, but nice to be nice as well. <laughs> uh, uh, although Indeed. I'd say nice doesn't really come into it for these guys. This Senior Times podcast was produced by Simon Murta and engineered by Mark Murphy. <laughs>